Praise God. You ready for the word? Very good. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would, please. We're going to be going to Hebrews chapter 11. Amen. Everybody enjoying your summer? It's an unusual summer, don't you think? A lot of rain for this time of the year, I thought, and the weather. I know my son's been enjoying it. He works for the railroad, and he said, and Mac back there could tell you the same thing. When you get down between those rails on a sun, shiny summer day, man, it is extremely hot. So uh, Nathan says, I love the winter, man. Said, it's, it's tolerable, you know. The summer is just brutal. So I know they're enjoying this little break in the weather. And, uh, but the grass is growing a lot more. How many is cutting grass more than one time a week? Oh, my goodness, it's growing like crazy. But you're glad when all your chores get done. The other day I had my grass cut, man. I had my trash carried off. You know, had my car inspected. And it was just enjoying the evening. I was just, it was great. Man, I went inside. I got me out a slice of whole wheat bread. Put real mayonnaise on it, all right? Fried me up an egg, a little salt and pepper. Cut a fresh tomato, stuck it on there. I was getting ready to enjoy myself a good egg and tomato sandwich. Didn't have any lettuce uh, or, or bacon, but I was going to eat an egg and tomato. And I was enjoying it. And all at once... I just had this sense of thankfulness and gratitude. As I'm standing there and I got my, Jeannie's got this nice little skillet. Man, that thing will fry an egg. It doesn't stick. She's got that thing seasoned. I'm, I'm frying my egg, you know, and I've got a little egg on my hand when I broke it, you know. I washed my hands, you know. I went over and got my real mayonnaise out of the refrigerator. And it just occurred to me how blessed I was. Turn the gas on, I got a flame right there. You know, I had to go gather wood and build a fire. I mean, it's right there. And then a running water, refrigerated food, it's nice and cool in the house. And I just stopped right there and I said, God, I just, I feel so blessed right now. And I just want to thank you, God, for my home. It's a blessing to have my home. You know, and Jeannie and I, we, we've loved living here in Central Virginia. It, it's been the first place in my life that I felt like I had a place I could call home. You know, because we moved around a lot growing up. I was five years old. My dad went to the seminary to study to be a pastor. He was a Southern Baptist pastor. And so uh, when I was eight years old, we moved for the very first time. I'd already started at elementary school, and we moved. And I uh, went to a new elementary school, and that was, yeah, was kind of hard, you know. And uh, I would move and go to eight more schools after that. I went to nine different schools in my uh, before I graduated, you know, so we moved around a lot. And then when I got out of school, I started working construction. I was a process pipe fitter and a pipe welder. And so I continued to move. And, uh, I came from a transit family. I think my mom's still moving. She just got back. She visited my brother in South Carolina, my brother in North Carolina. See, my dad pastored in three states. He left a son in each state. <laughs> I'm in Virginia, one's in South Carolina, one's in North Carolina. And so she's still traveling around. And uh, so I worked construction, and when I would go, when I'd finish a job, I was talking to Brother Glenn back there this morning, he said, you, you go work an outage, and you, it's hunting season comes, you drag up and go hunting, you know, and then you go get you another job. It's great, man. If it was, if it was back in the cowboy days, it'd be like a cowboy drifting from town to town, you know. I, I, I loved it, you know. Uh, but you'd always have to fill out the application when you'd go on a new job. And they would ask me 
for my permanent address. And I would always have to chuckle when I'd get to that. I was like, I have no idea. What is a permanent address? <laughs> I've never had one of those, you know. People would ask me, well, where's your home? I was like, how do you answer that question? I don't have a home, you know. And so when Jeannie and I, we went to, uh, the Lord called us in 1982, and we went to Bible college. And uh, then uh, the school, we went to Gloryland Bible College. It was actually Gloryland Fellowship of Ministries International. If you want to know what that is, it was a spirit-filled Baptist. He was trying to start a spirit-filled Baptist denomination, if you want to just simplify it. Tabernacle Baptist Church was the name of the church, and Gloryland was the name of the Bible college. And So they sent me to Connecticut. I didn't say God sent me there. I said they sent me to Connecticut. And I felt like, well, Jeannie didn't really have peace about it. I didn't really have a whole lot of peace about it. But I felt like the right thing to do is submit to those that have authority over you, because that's what the Bible said to do. They said they needed me in Connecticut, so I went to Connecticut. Well, it didn't turn out so pretty good. When man sends you somewhere and God didn't send you, it don't always turn out so pretty good. And so while we're up there, things really didn't get uh, any better. And I got to a point where I was just, I needed to hear from God. I mean, I needed to know, God, what, what do you want me to do? Now, I've been obedient. I've done what you told me. But God, what do you want me to do? And so I went on a fast. It was a total fast. Nothing but water. And on the fifth day, this is what God said to me. He told me two things. One thing is not really pertinent to the message this morning. But God said, I want you to go home and get your house in order. And I almost had to laugh again. I'm like, God, where is that? Where is home? What do you mean go home? And I finally concluded he was saying go back to the south because you're not a northern boy. The, at least your home is in the south. It's somewhere in Virginia, South Carolina, or North Carolina. I knew it had to be somewhere in one of those. So as a, 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 out of that process, God led us back here. And we've been here for 25 years. Can you believe that? 25 years. That's the longest I've ever lived in one place in my life. I never dreamed I could live in one place for 25 years. And I was like, yay, we finally got a permanent address. <laughs> but you know what God told me? This is not my permanent address. It's not my permanent address. And God has been reminding me of this over and over. And I believe God wants me to come and tell you this morning, folks, this is not your home. This is not our permanent address. The patriarchs understood this. The early church fathers, they understood this. They had a whole different way of thinking about life. And we need to reprioritize our thinking on this subject. If you found your place in Hebrews chapter 11, look with me at verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out. I feel like Abraham, brother. I've been going and going and going. I went out, you know. Not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as a foreign country. It was a foreign country. What does that mean? He didn't think of this place as his home. It was a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from whence they had came out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes today, God. Lord, reprogram our thinking today. Lord, something has been lost in the body of Christ. And God, I believe you have sent me here today to get it back. So, Lord, I pray that you help us to see what the Spirit is trying to say to us today, Lord, that we can get our minds wrapped around this, God. We can embrace it, Lord. We can be like Abraham, God. We can embrace this, Lord. Help us to see what is afar off, Lord, and to see it by faith and confess it, Lord. Because when we declare those things, Lord, we're saying that this is not our home, Lord. We're seeking another homeland. And, Lord, we know that you prepared that for us. So, God, I just ask that you just help me to make this clear today, Lord, make it concise. To the point now, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Folks, there's been a lot of bad stuff going on in our country. This whole Trey Van Martin, George Zimmerman thing, and it's flaring up racism again in our country. It may even be worse than the 60s and 70s when they integrated the schools. They've redefined marriage, which is a holy sacrament that God instituted. It's bad things. The IRS is targeting groups. And if you actually Christian groups, if you want to get right down to it, the government is spying on your personal conversations. These are bad things. The economy is in the tank. Terror threats everywhere. And a lot of Christians today are they're all tore up about what's going on in their country. And so when I come here this morning, I'm like, what can I say that will give us hope? Folks, some of us, we need to... Get this stuff out of our mind because we're way too involved in our thinking and wrapped up in what's going on in this country. What's going on in the earth. We are. Because you need to get your mind right. You need to understand this is not our home, folks. We're strangers. We're just passing through. Amen? Amen. Look at your neighbors. That neighbor. You don't belong here. You're just passing through. <laughs> this is not your home. Amen. This is not your home. So I want to talk to you this morning about permanent addresses. I've titled the message this morning, Permanent Address. Now, if you're a believer, you know that heaven is your home. You say, well, yeah, we know that. But do we really? He said in verse 10, we are waiting for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So if we really believe that. Why do we spend so much time, money, and energy, and effort, and fretting, and worrying, and complaining, and stressing over all of this mess? Yeah, come on. 
If we really believe that. Why do we do that? Folks, this is not our permanent address. This is a rental home. Amen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would take all of your investment, all of your earnings, and invest it in somebody else's rental property? You're renting the house, and you're going to remodel the whole thing out of your pocket. How many of you would do that? That would be insane to do that, right? <laughs> you can't, it's not yours. One day he's going to come in and say, you've got to move out. He's like, yeah, but I've invested all. It doesn't matter. You, you, it, it doesn't belong to you. Right? Who would do that? Nobody would do that. Because it doesn't belong to you. And folks, if I'm going to invest in it, I want to own it. Amen? Because <laughs> I've invested some in our little place, our little, we call it a cottage by the river. Because uh, I look at some floor plans and somebody bought a mobile home that's got more square footage than my house. Almost as much square footage as my house. So I'm like, man, our house is small, isn't it, honey? We love it, though, don't we, baby? But some Christians are investing. Uh, what did you say? Oh, it's bigger now since I added the room. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was 800 square feet. Hey, I raised three kids in that. And it was home. Of course, I had to sit in the bed while she changed clothes, and she'd get in the bed while I changed clothes. Because our bedroom, you had room to stand beside. Well, no, you don't need to know all that. It's bigger now. I can get out on my side of the bed. I don't have to climb across the bed to make it up anymore. Praise God. Do you know how what a blessing that is? To be able to stand on your side of the bed to make up the bed. Not have to climb. Because it's up against the wall. You know what I'm saying? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Some Christians are investing everything, though, in this place called earth. You say, yeah, but pastor, I can't see heaven. Neither could Abraham. Not with his natural eye. But look at it, verse 13. These all died not having received the promise. They didn't see it. But they have seen them afar off. How? By faith. By what we know to be true, we believe it. And they were assured of them. They embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in this earth. Folks, this is not your home. We're just passing through. My permanent address is in the heavens that God is creating for me. That's what my permanent address is. Now, this was the mindset of the early church fathers. All through every generation up until now. They all understood this. But folks, there has been a shift in the mindset of the church. All other generations had a heavenly mindset. They were heavenly minded. Now we are so focused on this life that we have all but forgotten what we're here for. It wasn't like that with our, our, our early church forefathers. Folks, making heaven and making eternity their home was their goal throughout all of history. If you go into the catacombs underneath Jerusalem where the Christians, the early Christians were forced to go and hide because they would, they would be arrested, some put in prison, sometimes killed for practicing Christianity. Remember Paul had papers when he went to Damascus to arrest them. And when after he got saved, they didn't trust him because they said, you're the one that took people to death. He stood there and held the coats while they stoned Stephen. So they would go in the catacombs and they would go there to have church service and to worship. 
And the artwork in the catacombs, most of it is about another country called heaven. Because this was what was on their mind. They understood this. The reason that church and those in that infancy of the church being born succeeded is because they had their focus on heaven. And as I was preparing this message, it occurred to me, even in my lifetime, I've seen this shift take place. Because I went back to some of the old songs that we sung, even in my lifetime. Let me just, let me just go over a few of them. Because our music reflects our, it reflects our mindset. Do you understand that? Not that our music is bad now, it's good. Because it's about a personal relationship, it's about an intimacy with God. And it's good, I don't want to change it, but I just want you to see how we... How our forefathers thought. Because out of their passion of their heart, they pinned words down on paper and put music to it. That's how you can tell what's in their heart. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, it sings also. Amen. One of them was just build my mansion next door to Jesus and tell the angels I'm coming home. Right? I've got, I'm, sat, I'm not satisfied. I said I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But someday yonder, I will never more wonder. But walk the streets that are purest gold. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus. <clears throat> Another one says, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning of his resurrection shares. When the chosen ones are gathered on the other shore. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. You used to have an old Pentecostal song that says, I've got more to go to heaven for than I had yesterday. You can hear her sing it, can't you, baby? We used to go to a little Pentecostal church, and that boy, that gal could sing. She was a country singer before she got saved. And when she got saved, she brought that country style. She said, I got more to go to heaven for than I had yesterday. So there's a brand new angel, angel in the choir, and I want to hear her sing. Of course, angels aren't hers, but she, hey, whatever, you know. <laughs> Another one says, I want to stroll over heaven with you some sweet day. As I'm saying, is some of you got those tunes rolling around your head, right? And some of our young people is like, what? <laughs> I want to stroll over heaven with you some sweet day. Where all our heartaches and troubles will truly vanish away. When we'll enjoy all the beauty where all things are new. I want to stroll over heaven with you. One of them says, I can almost see the lights of that city. It says, John tells of a city. That he saw coming down. Where no heartache or death will be known. That someday we can go there through God's marvelous grace. Forever live in that heavenly home. I can almost see the lights of that city. I see them gathered all around the great white throne. Through faith in my Savior. And his marvelous grace. I can almost see the lights of home. Here's another one. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no more sorrows there, no more burdens to bear. There'll be no sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. Forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What was that black man, Jeannie, Mama, that used to come to the church to preach at King's Church? Was it Willie? I, I tried to remember his name, but he used to come and sing a song, I'll Fly Away. What was it? You don't remember? 
Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. And then he'd get, he'd get to the chorus, he'd say, ah, he'd hold it seem like forever. Ah, fly away, oh glory, man, he was. And as a kid, man, I'm like, yes, praise God, I'm ready to go. Give me my wings, I'm going to fly. Here's another one right out of Hebrews 13, the passage we read. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by. It says, there's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, I can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. Now, folks, that's the kind of songs that they sang because that was the mindset of the early church fathers. And then the shift came. The shift came. Because I remember getting involved with a Pentecostal full gospel group that mocked those songs. We've labeled it today. It's called the faith camp. They would say things like, I'm not thinking about the sweet by and by. I'm focused on the blessed here and now. And their whole theme was, God wants to bless you. God wants to make you rich. If you want something, you just name it. And if you have enough faith, God will give it to you and you can claim it. And they would teach you to go out and, if you want that new car, you walk around that new car and you claim it because God wants you to have that new car. And by faith, I already see that it's mine. I see my name on the title. And everything had to do with me being blessed here and now. Folks, that's earthly mindedness. I don't care how good it sounds and how right it sounds and how many scriptures you pull out to make it right. Folks, there's something wrong with that. And as I was involved in it, something in my spirit just told me, this is something wrong about this. This is earthly thinking. And it, the reason that we kind of separated from it, it was there was no evangelism. I kept thinking, well, what are they doing to save the lost? What are they going to, to do to go after the lost? Nothing. It was all about, bless me, money cometh, how can I get rich? It was about that same time that Amway was on the upswing. How many of you know what Amway is? <laughs> I was going to be a, a distributor. Jeannie and I went, man, it was a get-rich-quick thing. Man, I had the positive thinking by Rich DeVos. The power of positive thinking by Rich DeVos, the tape. I listened to that. And I was like, man, that sounds vaguely familiar. That sounds a whole lot like what I've been involved with with this other religious group. Because it was the same thing, you know. It's all about a get rich quick. This is how you do it. Send me your money and God will give you a hundredfold return. Well, why can't I send it to this poor man over here that don't have any money? Why am I sending it to you, rich evangelist? Is that the only way God's going to bless me is if I give it to you? There was something about that that just went crossways in my spirit. And I was like, God, there's something. Why aren't we going after the loss? But what it was doing was taking our focus off of heaven and the things of, of, of eternity and putting it all on. And, and I, I've seen that shift take place in my lifetime. The first believers must have missed that teaching somehow. Because their thinking was on heaven constantly. That concept was the framework for every decision that they made. 
And I believe that God is saying we need to get back to a heavenly mindset. Now, folks, I know there's a balance in this. There is a balance. God does want to bless you. We need to think more about what we're working for, though. Heaven is my permanent residence. And I don't need to be investing in a rental. I need to be investing in something that I own. Amen? So a heavenly mindset is beneficial to us. And I want to go there. I am investing in it. And I want to take as many as I can with me. Amen? It's all about souls. So a heavenly mindset, it will help you prioritize your life. Because when we have a heavenly mindset, we understand that this life that we're spending so much time on and investing in is going to end one day. And the folks in our, our church today, we don't like to talk about death. But I got news for you, and I don't want to bum you out or anything, but you're going to die. Kids, I don't want you to go home thinking, oh, Lord. But I got news for you. You're one second closer. To, no, you're two. No, you're three. You're, you're, by the end of the day, you'll be a day closer to death. You may have less days in front of you than you've got behind you. Young or old. Nobody is promised tomorrow. One thing in this life is certain. You are going to die. That is certain. But when we do funerals now, we talk about death. We don't even talk about what the guy died. No, he passed away. He's gone on. He's crossed over. And we try to make them look as alive as we possibly can. But folks, 100, 200 years ago, it wasn't like that. In fact, their whole mindset was focused on remember this one thing. You will die. They coined a phrase and it was a, it was a motto for every generation. The phrase is memento mori. It's Latin. Memento Mori. And so I went in to look, where did this come from? And it actually came from a Roman general. And he had his, his assistant would follow behind him. And every so often he would say this to him. He would say, Reprise pote. Let me read it. Homini te esse memento, memento mori. And it means, look behind you. Remember, you are but a man. Remember, you will die. And what he was saying is no matter what you've achieved in life, you're a general in a Roman army. You have got there, brother. I mean, you have arrived. But remember this. You're still just a man. And you could die today. When you go out to battle today, this could be the day that you fall. Remember that. And as, we, as they would focus their mindset around this, this theme, memento more, it reminded, it means remember death. Memento mori, remember death. It would frame their thinking about everything in life. Because they would look behind them and remember, one day I'm going to die. It became the philosophical mindset of every generation up until today. Today we pursue life so fully as if there is no eternity. Because all of our energy, all of our everything is focused on making this life the best that we can. But folks, we need to remember one day we're going to die. And this is not our home. Now, it's not talking about focusing on death itself. 
but remembering that you're going to die. Because listen, if heaven and hell is real in your mind, it will change how you make every decision that you make. When it becomes real in our mind. And I believe that it's been a tactic of the enemy to take our mind off of death and heaven and hell and focus all of our energy and effort on life. Living it to its fullest. You only go around once. Go for the gusto. And all those slogans that has trained our thinking to focus on this earth. And God is saying you've got to get off of that and get your mind back on heavenly thoughts. Because it will overshadow every priority in your life. When I die, what is going to happen? What's going to happen? We remember that the life I am living is preparing me for eternity. Now our forefathers, they understood this. Jerome, which was one of the early church forefathers, he is the man that translated the Hebrew Bible and the Greek Bible into the Latin Vulgate. And Jerome kept a skull sitting on his desk to remind him that one day he would die. And what he got from that is he, he said, I must labor for the master now because one day I will be dead. Then eternity will begin. I want you everybody to look this way and do this for me. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three, and then I want you to blink. All right, ready? Everybody. One, two, three, blink. That was one six billionths of your entire life. One six billionths of your entire life. Depending on how long you live. We're going to give you a long life, all right? 98 years of age. So if you live to be 98, that blink it was one six billionths of your life. You say, why 98? Well, I went this week to see a pastor friend of mine who was 98 years old. He was preaching up to four weeks ago. Been preaching for 75 years. And I've invited him to come next Sunday. I hope he's going to come. His health is really fading. He's not in very good health. Uh, and he said, if I can work it out, I'll be there. I'm not going to preach because I don't know that he can stand that long to preach. He said, you do the preaching and I'll, I'll share a testimony. So I certainly hope that he makes it. You know, And he's the one that told me, you're just a boy. I was like, well, thank you, Pastor. I, I received that in Jesus' name. <laughs> but when we think of 98 years of age plus, by the way, he's still driving his car around with his 95-year-old wife. They drove to Williamsburg last week to visit one of the churches that he planted. And I said, Pastor, how many have you planted? He said, I've planted four. One in Williamsburg, one in uh, um, Hampton Road. He planted one up in uh, Leesburg, which is a huge church. And he's trying to go back and visit all of them. All right, Driving around, and he said, I'd love to plant another church. Said, but uh, Miss Bev said she just don't think she could do another one. Ninety-eight years old, wanting to plant another church. Brother, that's the spirit of Caleb right there. God, give me that mountain. Hallelujah. Woo. Mm. Man, I'm all for that. But 98 years of life compared to eternity is shorter than that blink. Because, folks, when we, when we try to compare our life to eternity, you, you can't make that comparison. Eternity, we can't even get our minds wrapped around it. So I'm just wondering, why do we stress so much about the things on earth when it's just a blink in the grand scheme of things? 
Our address here is temporary. It's just a rental. Why do we stress so much about it? So if we remember heaven, it'll help prioritize our life. Peter said this, Dearly beloved, 1 Peter 2.11, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Folks, if we're thinking about the fact that we're just a stranger here, we're just a pilgrim here, it will reframe our decision on every, everything we do. We will abstain from things that's going to separate us from God. The second and the last thing it will do is it will help you through crisis. Now, when we look at all the things that's going on and the, the Trayvon Martin thing and all that, and we're at war in Afghanistan. I mean, there's nothing sadder than to see our young men come back maimed, dismembered, dead. Folks, that's, that's terrible. I was looking the other day. They've, they're collecting money to buy these little wheelchairs. It's got tracks on them. Have you seen that? Yeah. Bill O'Reilly's doing it on Fox News. I'm not trying to promote Fox News, but he's raised, he's raised like $5 billion, million to buy these wheelchairs. And these things are cool, man. I was like, I'm not dismembered, but can I get one? Because... There was a guy that didn't have any legs. He only had one arm. And he's driving his thing through a swamp in the woods going hunting. I'm like, man, that thing is just neat. You know, but it's sad to see those things. It's horrible. But when we compare it to what happened 100, 200 throughout history, folks, things aren't that bad right now. Do you know in World War II, 55 million people died? Did you get that number? 55 million people died in World War II. 292,000 American soldiers. 6 million Jews died. The Black Plague. Remember that? The bubonic plague called Black Death. 75 million people died. Folks, when our grandparents were alive and our great-grandparents, the mortality rate among infants was horrible. Jeannie's got a book on her family history. Some men would have three, four wives. Why? Because they would die giving birth to children. Young women. Go into the cemetery and look at some of the dates on the tombstones. Folks, things aren't that bad right now. Are you hearing me? It's not that bad. How did those people deal with that? They were not earthly-minded people. They were heavenly-minded people. Ecclesiastes 7.1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Folks, when we get our mind wrapped around, this is just, I'm passing through here. My home is up there. Death doesn't scare me anymore. Because the day I die is better than the day I was born. How can he say that? Because he knew something better is waiting for me. Folks, I'm just passing through here. You ever heard anybody say, so-and-so is so heavenly minded, they are of no? How could we say that? Come on, man. Folks, you can't get too heavenly minded. Yeah. I know some people that are so earthly minded that they're of no heavenly good. <laughs> that describes a great portion of the church today. We're earthly minded people. But when, when we focus on heavenly things, it helps us through crisis. Because we know it no matter what happens, i got something better waiting for me. If I die young, as a boy, just a little boy, amen, it's all right. Because i got something better waiting for me. God put that in our thinking, Lord. 
Help us, oh God, to get our minds wrapped around that. Let me close with this. Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said, they're going to arrest me. They're going to take me and put me in prison. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to leave. And you're going to be here by yourself. And after he ascended, they suffered. I mean, they were beaten with stones. They were beaten with clubs. They were run through with spears. They were crucified upside down. Horrible things happened to them. How did they get through all of that? How did they deal with that suffering? They remembered the words of Jesus. John 14, 1. Look at it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. You notice he didn't say, I'm going to bless you and give you a mansion here. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. You know what that tells me? This is not the place he's preparing for me. He's preparing a place for me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, folks, look, look this way and listen. I have seen this much of planet Earth. And what I have seen, some of it has been breathtaking beautiful. I've looked in the National Geographic magazines at some of the pictures. And, man, they're so crisp and pristine. And it's just breathtaking. I'm thinking, pictures doesn't do it justice. Jeannie and I went out to Arizona. I always want to see those big cactuses. And I stood there. That, that was just a... I thought there was one or two or three or five. There's, there's forests full of... The, I mean, it's as far as you can see, those cactuses. And there's like five, six, eight, ten different kinds of cactus. It's just beautiful. We saw the painted desert. Beautiful. I'd love to see the Grand Canyon. I'd love to see a two, three hundred feet tall waterfall. You know, there's things that I would love to see that's beautiful. And when we think of all the beauty of earth, how long did it take God to create that? Huh? Somebody tell me. Six days, right? Then he rested on the seventh. Six days. But he said, the place that I'm preparing for you, your eye hath not seen it. Everything you've seen, all that you've seen on earth does not even begin to compare with it. You have not seen what I'm preparing for you. It hasn't entered into your mind. You can't perceive it in your heart. And he's been working on it for 2,000 years. Amen? If, it, if he did all this in six days, what do you think he's been working on for the past 2,000 years? Man. I'm ready, brother. He could just rapture us right on out of here right now. Be all right with me. Colossians says this, if you you were risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind. Everybody say that with me. Set your mind. It's your mindset. The church has got the wrong mindset. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. For... You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, He is our life. This is not our life. Christ is our life. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We've got to set our mind on the things above. Who cares what's going on down here? I mean, it's not that we don't care, but why are we stressing over this stuff? 
Oh, Lord, the IRS and the, the scandals and this, that scandal, that scandal. People can't sleep at night and the economy and what's going to happen. And I'm going to tell you what's happening. He got the whole world. In his hand, he got the whole wide world. In his hand, he got the whole world. He's got it all, brother. It's all in his hands. And God is not fretting about it. And if we get our mind right, we'll stop fretting about it. Now, I understand the balance. We can enjoy the things that God's given us. Man, I enjoyed that gas stove and that skillet and that fried egg fresh out of my hen house. My chicken's late. Amen. I enjoy that air conditioning. I enjoy those things. Second, First Timothy 6 tells this. Charge them that are rich. That would be you and me. All right? Because whether you realize it or not, if you live in America, you are a rich man. Charge them that are rich in this world. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Folks, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy the life that God has given you. But in all the things that you're doing, don't pursue that. He said to set your mind on things above. That's the things we need to be pursuing. So let me conclude with this. We don't walk around thinking about dying. And that's not what I'm talking about. I don't like to hear about people dying. I, I really don't. You know, somebody's dying, pray, tell me, just pray for so-and-so, they're in a bad health. I'm like, all right, I'm going to pray for them. I don't hear about people dying. I don't like hearing about people that's got sickness and all that stuff. Tell me, somebody got sickness, pray for them. And that's all I need to hear. Because it bums me out, all right? That's depressing stuff. I'm thinking on heavenly things. They're going to die? Well, good. <laughs> Are they a Christian? Good. They need to die. Because the day of their death is better than the day of their birth. If God's through with them, folks, there's a day your, your time is up and God's done with you. It could be young, it could be old, whatever. It's, it's in God's hands. It's a good thing. If you believe what I'm saying to you this morning, it's a good thing. See, we got the whole wrong mindset. He's ready to go be with Jesus. It's a good thing. Why are we getting so bummed? Out? Well, yeah, we're going to miss them. I, I understand that. I grieve for my loss. I don't grieve for them, brother, if they're a saint in God. Brother, I wish I was with them. If we believe this stuff. I'm trying to remember that story. It's not in my notes, but there was a man that was on, de- he was on death row. And a preacher came and witnessed to him. And he said, do you really believe what you're telling me? He said, yeah, I believe that. He said, you know what I would do if I believed what you're telling me? He said, what would you do, sir? He said, I would try to go to everybody in the world if I had to crawl on my knees in broken glass and rescue them from the place you're telling me about. If I really believe that. Do we believe it? Do we believe heaven's real? Do we believe hell is real? Do we? We've been programmed over the ages to be so focused on this and not that. And I hear God saying, set your affections on things above. We've got to reframe our thinking. It will reframe every decision that we make. Because all of this stuff, all of this, it's all going to pass away. All the politics is going to be gone. The Democrats and Republicans, they're gone. All right? Everything that Carter did, it's gone. 
Everything that Bush won, Bush two, Reagan, all that just gone. Everything that that Clintons did, it's it's going to be gone. Whatever Mr. Obama's going to do, it's all going to be gone. That house that you're spending all your time working on, poof, it's going to be gone. That car you wish you could have that you can't afford, it's going to be gone. We're spending all of our time and our life on this stuff. And it's all going to go away, folks. It's a rental. It's a rental. We've got to set our affections on something we can take possession of. My permanent address. My home. Investing in those things. You know how you invest in it? The soul's of men. When I invest in your life and God transforms you, that's eternal. The reason I answered the call to the ministry, I'm welding and I finish building that thing and I said, man, that thing will be when I'm dead and gone. And God says, it will melt with fervent heat. I've never heard God speak anything clearer in my spirit. It will melt with fervent heat. And I looked at Mike Amos, the mechanic out in the shop. And Fast Eddie, the other welder, we call him Fast Eddie because he was always so slow. <laughs> Fast Eddie walked through. That boy could drink more Mountain Dews in a day. Every time I turn around, he's taking a break. I loved him. He was the greatest guy in the world. I love Eddie. Fast Eddie walked through. I said, Eddie, let me show you something, man. I mean, God got a hold of my heart that day. I said, you see all of this? He's like, yeah. I said, it's all going to pass away, Eddie. It's all going to pass away. And I pointed at Mike. I said, that, that's eternal. I don't want to build this anymore. I want to build that. Folks, what are you spending your time on? Are you investing in your eternal home? Your permanent address? Why don't you stand to your feet? Hunter, if you and the worship team would join me here at the front, please. The Moravian missionaries understood this concept. They sent missionaries all around the world. And there was a man named Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. He was responsible for sending a lot of the missionaries out. The Moravian missionaries. He was the one that drove the two missionaries. One of them was a mechanic, and a, I mean a, a merchant, and I forget the other one. It was a butcher or something. They sold themselves into slavery in order to get on an island that wouldn't allow the gospel to come on the island. They sold themselves, took the money that they earned to pay their passage to go to this island to preach the gospel. One of them was a single man, one was a married man with a child. Knowing they would never see their family again on this earth, they got on a ship and they sailed away. And they said, may Jesus Christ receive the reward of his suffering. Talking about the souls that they were going to witness to, slaves on this island. Well, it was Nicholas Zinzendorf that took him in his carriage and carried him part of the way to get on that ship. And this was his motto for life. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Because folks, no matter what great things we may do in this life, my children will remember me. My grandchildren will remember me. Maybe my great-grandchildren will remember me. But after that, I'm probably going to be forgotten. 
But you know what? That's all right. Because people remembering me will do nothing for them. But if they remember the Jesus that I taught them, it can save their soul. People don't need to remember me. But if I have preached the gospel, my life was worth something. Then when I die, go ahead and forget me. Go ahead and forget me. It's all right. Tell you this last story, then I'm going to close in prayer. It was a lady by the name of Ruth Ann Metzger. She's a professional singer. She lives in Seattle, Washington. She was invited to sing at a wedding of a millionaire. And after the wedding, they went to the top two floors of the Seattle Columbia Tower. It's the highest skyscraper in the northwestern part of the United States. And they had the whole top two floors reserved for this reception. I mean, it was a black tie, red carpet. It had elite everything. All of these exotic foods. There was a man at the top of the steps said had a, a lovely bound book greeting her and her husband as she reached the top of the stairs. May I have your name, please? I am Ruth Ann Metzger, she replied. He looked in the book, but he could not find her name. Could you please spell it for me? She spelled it. He looked, and he still could not find her name. Finally, after looking thoroughly for her name, he said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but your name is not here. And without your name in this book, you cannot attend this banquet. There must be some mistake. I sang at the wedding, she said. I know the groom. He invited me. It doesn't matter who you are, ma'am, or what you've done. Without your name in this book, you cannot attend this banquet. She said, I thought about running past the gentleman to the groom. I could see him sitting right over there and tell him what has happened so that he could straighten this mess out. But with hundreds of guests on the stairs behind us, and as I looked, all the tables were full. I stood there silent. The man motioned for a waiter and said, show this couple to the service elevator, please. We walked past a beautiful decorated tables, ice sculptures, even an orchestra. And we were led to a service elevator, and the waiter himself pressed the button G for garage. My husband didn't say a word, nor did I. We drove out of the garage of the Columbia Tower. We both remained silent. After several miles, my husband Roy reached over and gently put his arm on my arm. Sweetheart, what happened? Then I remembered When the invitation arrived for the reception, I was so busy, I didn't bother to return the RSVP. Besides, I was a singer. Surely I could get into the reception without returning the RSVP. As we drove on, I began to weep. I was not weeping because I had just missed the most lavish banquet of my life. I was weeping because I suddenly realized what it would be like for people as they stood before the entrance of heaven. People who were so busy to respond to Christ's invitation to the heavenly banquet. People who assumed the good things they had done, perfect attendance, or even singing praises to God in church would be enough to gain entrance into heaven. People who will look for their name in the Lamb's book of life and not find it there. People who did not take the time to respond to Christ's gracious invitation.
Would you bow your head, please? I don't know if I'm talking to anyone here this morning. But if you can hear my voice. If you're listening on the internet. Through our media stream. Wherever you are. If you do not know Christ. Your number one priority. Is to be born again. I need to ask you. Will heaven be your home? Folks, I remember what it was like laying in the bed at night wondering if when I died I would go to heaven. I have felt the pain standing beside a casket looking in the face of a loved one and not knowing where they are. What you need to know today is that heaven is perfect. And God will not allow sin into heaven. And man is sinful. Something has to be done with that sin. And 2,000 years ago, God sent a man to take that sin away. And the Bible says that even a child can trust Jesus as his Savior. So I'd like everyone to just pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, pray it out loud with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I want to live with you in heaven. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. So I confess my sin to you now. And I ask you to forgive me, Lord. When I die, receive me into your kingdom. Come into my heart and save me, Lord. Save me now, I ask in Jesus' name. It's that simple, folks. I led you in a prayer, but you make that prayer your prayer. And I promise you, Jesus Christ will come into your heart. And He will change your life. And from that point on, let's be heavenly minded people. How many of you want a home in heaven? How many of you know you got a home in heaven? Amen. I don't want to spend too much time on this rental down here. Amen. I want to invest in something I own. It doesn't have to be a mansion next door to Jesus. But whatever it is, I know that he's preparing something special for me. You see, Jesus knows about me, and he knows exactly what I would like. The mansion next door to Jesus, it might be all right. But I'm kind of like that, that travel trailer that they put in a tree stand on Duck Dynasty. Brother, that, that would be like all right with me, you know. Set up there on the porch and watch the wildlife go by. That... But you know, that's foolishness. I'm, I'm kidding around. That's foolishness. God knows so much about us. He knows that your eye can't even see or your mind can't even comprehend what would really be the best design for you. But He knows. It's going to be good, folks. Amen? Praise God. Father, we thank You for this morning, Lord. I thank You for the Word. God, I thank You for bringing clarity to my understanding. 
Lord, as we Lord, as we build on this and continue to focus on this this concept, help us, God, to see the need to change our mindset. To set our affections on things above and not things on the earth, Lord. To realize, Lord, as we get our mind right, we will look at people different. We will look at people different. You know that's true. I'm going to close in prayer in a minute. But I just, I went out and got gas for my wife's car the other day. And I was hungry, so I went into Dairy Queen. A number nine special up there. That number nine combo, that turkey iron grill, turkey sub, you got to try it, brother. It's good. And I ordered a number nine combo, and I'm sitting there waiting. These four ladies came in, older women. They were probably in their 50s, 60s. And I'm looking at them. And in my mind, I pictured them grinching and squirming in the fires of hell. Not that God was showing me that. I was just, I was like, if I were to look at these people different than just, you know, there's a distinguished looking older lady, gray hair. She looked like she was an educated, well, kept herself well. If I were going to really believe this, how would I look at this person different? And I pictured that in my mind on purpose. I'm like, wow. Wow. That really does change your mindset. What if that's true about her? It'll change the way you think, folks. We really get this in our head. Yeah. Father, help us to get our mind right. Help us to get our mind right, God. God, we repent for the shift in the body of Christ that's taken our eyes off of the things of heaven. And place so much of our attention on the things of earth. Forgive us, Lord. Get us back to the place where we are burdened for souls, God. Help us to see them the way that you see them. Lord, take the scales off of our eyes that we can see, God. Burden our hearts, Lord. Make it real. Lord, give us an anointing, God, to be able to share your word, Lord. And the power, God, the power, the power is in the gospel. For Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that we would just simply share the truth with them. Heaven is perfect. Sin separates us from that. And Jesus Christ made a way to remove that sin. If you'll just trust in Him. It's that simple. And then do your work, God. Now, Lord, as we go from this place... Open doors of opportunity for us to share Jesus, Lord. Whether we share Him in word or deed, Lord. Help us to be Jesus to someone this week. Then, Lord, when we come back to this place, may we come back with great testimonies of the power of God being demonstrated in our life as we change our thinking. Give us boldness to share Your Word, God. Make it effective, Lord. Now, Lord, I bless Your people. I bless their home, God. Make it a refuge, Lord, an escape from the world. A place where you are honored. A place where you're welcome, Lord. Restore relationships and strengthen them, God, between husbands and their wives, children and their parents, siblings one with the other. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.